We would like to welcome everybody to uh, podcast number 58, almost 60, Dad, uh, 58 of the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. And today we're going to welcome Matt McGuinn from Pro Roswell Audio. Did I get your name right, Matt? Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Because okay, uh, I can murder a few every once in a while. Um, from Pro Roswell Audio. And we've done three or four podcasts on home recording and pro home recording. And Matt loaned me these microphones about, I don't know, before NAM, And uh, I had them for a couple, three days and then took them up to Santa Cruz and they didn't get a chance to use them in an outdoor thing. But um, I was really impressed with them. And I did a side-by-side -side recording of three different, completely different guitars. Um, and one a recording king, one my old Gibson, you know, and, and just played the same thing through, you sent me two microphones, correct? You sent me a, and uh, it, it was shocking. I, I, I layered them up in GarageBand, not, not, could have been a little bit more sophisticated than that, but it was just shocking at the quality of the microphone and the difference between the two of them. So welcome, Matt. Yes. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, happy to be here. Um, how does one go about, unless it's from an alien visitation, how does one go about starting a microphone company? <laughs> um, you know, I, I tried for years to not start another microphone company. Um, <laughs> my my background was uh, as a musician, or at least as a drummer, which is not always the same thing. And um, so I was trying to do a really hard thing, which is record drums at home. And I say hard because uh, unlike guitarists who can get away with a single mic, or sometimes these days, you know, zero microphones, drummers need a lot of microphones, a lot of channels, you need a big room, and you kind of need to know what you're doing, because otherwise you have all kinds of problems with phase and so on. Uh, and so I... I was buying microphones and trying to figure out how to use them and, and and realized early on that I that there was a lot to learn. It wasn't as simple as plugging something in and then away you go. And so uh, I started documenting microphones and, and the way my brain works, I like to make order out of chaos. Um, and I'm looking at online forums and magazine ads and you know this is 20 years ago, right? So the internet wasn't quite the same as it is today where there's sort of ubiquitous uh, access and tons of information out there. Um, and so uh, I, I was looking at all the things that are out there. People on forums are talking about mics that are no longer made, but are maybe worth knowing about. And then companies that make microphones are promoting their new thing. And, and you know, a lot of times companies are saying, you know, this is the best mic for everything, which, you know, logically can't possibly be true. And I was trying to make sense of all of that. And and the way that I did that was I started approaching manufacturers and trying to understand, well, what is this for? Why is why do you have this? Well, you also have this. What is the difference? Why why is this one better for some things and this is it better for other things? And and I started writing about that on a website that I have called recordinghacks.com. And the idea of that was that it was going to be it was sharing kind of insider secrets about how to do this thing of this thing called recording. Because I'd stumbled across, you know. A magazine article or a forum post that said oh when you're recording piano you know use these microphones and put them here and it's amazing and it seemed like there were some insider secrets that were worth knowing and documenting and 
over time, I found that to be less and less true because so much of recording technique is situational, uh, meaning you know tricks that apply to a particular instrument in a particular room just might not apply to some other instrument in a different room, and and, and a lot of the magic that comes out of recording sessions has to do with the experience of the guy who's positioning the microphones and he's understanding what the room is doing and what the and what the production needs and so he knows he or she knows how to put micro which microphones where to get the sound that he or she needs so a lot of it's situational and so that idea of recording acts didn't pan out but what did pan out was a database of, of microphone information uh which is very imaginatively called the microphone database um I have a problem with naming things as will become more evident, but uh, <laughs> so I learned a lot about microphones in that way, just sort of trying to understand them. And I was really fortunate. So I started going to trade shows and interviewing people who, whose name is on, you know, on, the, on a lot of these microphones and asking the people who designed them why they exist and why they did certain things. And, and from that, I started to understand why condenser mics, especially sound the way they do. And then I, that led to a fascination with, well, what happens if you change it? And in those days, there was a, there, there's still a store, a musician's friend, and they have a promotion called the Stupid Deal of the Day. And it used to be for 49 bucks, you could buy an MXL something. It was a, a condenser mic. They're made overseas. Um, you know, th these are not super high uh, quality microphones. You know, for $49, it's a fairly amazing performance. Um, and those deals... They're twice that price now. Um, but we started selling uh, microphone capsules, and the idea was you'd buy this $49 microphone, and then you'd put a new capsule into it, and that would actually upgrade the sound of the thing to a point that was kind of far beyond the you know, $200 you'd invested at that point. And so it, that was just a little a side hustle, just something that I was you know, trying to finance the, the years of evenings and weekends that I invested into the Recording Hacks website. Uh, and that started to snowball. That that business of DIY microphone upgrades started to snowball. And uh, and so we, we, we branched out, started selling different kinds of capsules that produce different voicings, um, and then started selling circuit upgrade kits, and then started selling complete circuit kits, and then started selling complete microphone kits. And <laughs> along the way, people were asking, uh, they would say, well, look, I'm sold on the concept of what you're doing. Like, I'd love to own a, a, a microphone from your company, but you don't sell microphones, you sell kits, and I don't want to solder. It's just not something I'm interested in doing. Can you do it for me? And so I thought, okay, I mean, I've been interviewing and following and studying all of the microphone companies for years, and I don't really want to compete with them because I see that it's hard work, and it requires a lot of skills that I don't have around running a business and marketing and all those sorts of things. And I don't really want to go there, but people kept asking me and I thought, okay, maybe I just need to figure this out. And so long story short, that is how someone goes about uh, making microphones. And, and honestly, I, I don't recommend it because uh, <laughs> it is, it's a lot of work. Um, I mean, for me, it's a source of great joy. I really, really love it. Uh, for me, it ends up being my dream job. Um, but uh but yeah, not something probably to be undertaken casually because, uh, uh, you know, it's it's just it's a whole it's a whole lifestyle is what it ends up being. So, uh, I I didn't realize you were behind the recordinghacks.com. That's a, a really a valuable database. Um, 
I remember when I was looking to buy my first mic or two and, and everybody was telling me, oh, you know, just get an SM58, just get an SM58. I was like, well, I don't know. There's an awful lot of other microphones out there. And of course, I was looking at used and I'd like, is this one any good? Is this one any good? And I'd go to your, your site and could get some honest information about it as opposed to just, you know, the manufacturer's glib uh, description of the value of their uh, offering. Um, so that's quite intriguing. But I have to at the same time admit, you know, being mostly just a guitar player and singer, to me, mics are kind of magical. I don't understand, you know, you can go out and get a mic for $29 and then you can go to a website and there's somebody offering a mic for, you know, thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And what is it inside the mic that, that really makes the big difference? And what is it that you've done? I mean, I'm intrigued when you said you were offering capsule upgrade kits. What's a capsule? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Um, so to answer your first question, you know, what's the difference? You know, it, it's analogous to really any other product. You know, you can buy an inexpensive car, you can buy a very expensive car. And to be glib, you could say, well, they both let you go to the grocery store and back. Uh, but they, they, there's a lot more to it than that, you know? So the microphone's job is to convert audio waves, uh, an acoustic signal into an electric signal, uh, which can be recorded in some fashion. Um, and and there are inexpensive microphones that do that. And uh, and there are, of course, you know, the sky's the limit. You could spend $25,000 on a microphone. And the, the fantastic reality is that there are some $29 microphones that you could put up next to your $25,000 microphone. And you say, hello, test one, two, three, and you record and listen back. And you don't hear, you know, $28,971 or whatever <laughs> difference. It's just not there. So, um, but, you know, at the same, the same time, you don't hear a lot of $29 microphones on records because there is a difference. Even when people are consuming all of your hard work through a $4 pair of earbuds, there's still a difference. And... The, the difference plays out in a lot of different ways. You know, in the, in the car analogy, there's there's comfort and, you know, can it carry things? Can it carry people? Stereo, you know, heating, air conditioning, all these other things that don't necessarily, they're not directly related to getting groceries, but it is part of the experience. And so in a microphone, um, there are considerations of frequency response and noise and distortion. And, and those are all, you know, fairly basic criteria. Um, but beyond that, and, and one of the things that separates, you know, a mic at a, a couple hundred bucks from something that's a lot more would be more esoteric things like dimensionality, you know, the ability to capture the sense of space. Um, great microphones are often said to have a lot of reach into the room so that you can, you know, like I've heard engineers say about, you know, certain revered microphones that they recorded vocals and they were, you know, the singer was two feet back from the microphone, but it sounded like she was right there on top of it. And I, I understand that to uh, someone who's not a recording engineer, that might be like a so what moment, like, okay, I don't care. Well, like, what, does, what does it matter? But it has to do with the way that sound is captured, you know, the naturalness of it. Um, because, you know, for the most part, when you listen to a vocalist live, he or she's not standing this far from your ear, but that is where the microphone goes. 
you know, and, and, and the same is true with drums. You know, when you record a drum set, you put a microphone on the snare drum and it's this far away. But have you ever listened to a drummer from that close? No, you'd be deaf. You'd let <laughs> one drum shot and that would be the end of the show. So, so there's an artificiality to the process of recording music. But better gear can sometimes mitigate some of that and, and, and let you put some organic life qualities to you know back into this very artificial thing of converting audio to to voltages and then from there to bits to go onto a hard disk you know and then to be reconstituted on the back end which is a process you know indistinguishable from magic to some to some degree uh and enjoyed as a, as a performance you know to be played back later so uh so I, so there's a lot uh there's a lot of very direct material differences between inexpensive and expensive mics, but there's also a lot of other qualities. And and the more you spend, at least ideally, the more you spend, the more of those more esoteric and sort of squishy qualities you're going to get. Yeah, well, I can understand that very well for just coming from the world of acoustic guitars where you can spend similar amounts on a guitar and you will hear a lot of those same differences um you know at, at the various levels um but it's kind of intriguing i mean that was one of the things i remember from your database was that some microphones seem to be emphasizing specific qualities like you said you know miking a drum kit or something where i mean people are it's getting this high bang of energy like immediately as opposed to a vocal mic which i would assume has a completely different desire to reproduce or, or pick up the sound um and then i guess there's a big difference with live mics too because that's mostly what i'm familiar with not being a recording engineer and i've listened as our band has picked up mics over the years you know generally flea markets and garage sales and craigslist um some of them sound pretty good uh some of them i'm happy to give away to other people uh <laughs> Um, and I guess I'm intrigued with this, this concept of the capsule or not concept, but the, this part of a microphone, I don't really know anything about what's sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, didn't circle back to that. So, um, a, a couple of thoughts. So one is that even though both stage and studio are the job is the same capture these sound waves and then do something with them, whether make them louder for the audience or record them. It seems like the same thing, um, but they end up valuing different aspects uh, of, of the behavior. And what I mean by that is on stage, like a, a primary value for a stage mic is feedback rejection. Because at least in the old days, artists would have floor monitors, wedge monitors that were blasting the, the singer's voice back at the singer's face. And uh, as you know, if you point a microphone at a speaker, there, the audio loops and it's called feedback and very quickly everyone goes deaf and shortly after that, the speaker blows up or the microphone. <laughs> and so you don't want that uh, on stage. It's, it would be, that's the end of the show. I mean, it's a terrible, uh, it's a terrible sound and terrible effect. Now in the studio, you don't have that because uh, if, if the artist needs to hear himself or herself, uh, the person will be wearing headphones. So you don't need to worry about feedback. And, and, and similarly on stage, you, you, uh, you often give up high frequency response because that's, I think, is more likely to feed back. 
And so a lot of stage mics are have a darker or softer top end, whereas in the studio, you don't, you don't want to give up frequency information in order to improve feedback rejection because you don't care about feedback because there isn't a speaker in the room. So they end up being fundamentally different applications. Uh, state, I, I, I skipped the maybe most obvious one. Stage mics need to survive being dropped from six feet onto the floor into a puddle of beer. You know, condenser mics don't have to go through that. So we don't mind that they're a little more fragile because they sound better. You know, if I want to capture the emotion and the intensity of a performance, I want a lot of high resolution information. I want a lot of detail. Stage mics don't need all of that. I mean, it would be nice. Yeah, but you know, we're willing to give that up. It's just like earbuds, you know, people are clearly willing to give up fidelity for convenience, MP3s and earbuds. That's what everyone listens to now. Right, right. I asked my son if he wanted a, uh, he's heading off to college. I asked him if he wanted a stereo for his dorm room and he kind of looked at me like, well, why would I want that? He's got you know, 8,000 songs on his phone and he's got a pair of AirPods. And he said, and if I want to listen with friends, I've got a Bluetooth speaker. And he does. And it's this big and it's amazing. It's rechargeable battery and it sounds okay. And right, right. I said, well, you know, when I was in college, um, I wasn't into audio specifically, but my speakers were this big, you know? And he says, yeah, but my room's only five by nine. How loud can I make it? I'm like, that's not the point, you know? <laughs> like everyone in my dorm wants my stereo. But the world has changed. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, different... Uh, so now the, the capsule, um, the capsule in a condenser microphone is the, it's the transducer. It's, it's analogous to the driver in your speaker. And okay. in a condenser mic, it's the component that is, is most responsible for the sound that you hear. So in, in slightly simplified terms, the capsule determines the frequency response of the microphone, which is mostly what people understand as the sound of the mic or the tone of the microphone. And then the circuit in a condenser microphone, and this is a little bit simplified, but the circuit determines uh, sensitivity, gain, uh, noise, distortion, stuff like that. So the circuit can sometimes do some EQ. Uh, very rarely would the circuit do any any sort of boost EQ, any kind of rising EQ. What's more typical is that the circuit might roll off the top or the bottom, and sometimes that's intentional, and sometimes it's, it's just a, a side effect of bad design. Uh, so, uh, so the capsule is the thing that mostly determines the sound of the mic, and uh, this is true for condenser mics. And that is why the thing I talked about before made sense, where you buy this inexpensive condenser mic, and then you put in a new capsule that's much nicer than the one that's in there. In the case of that particular microphone, the circuit was okay. It certainly wouldn't win any you know, awards, but it was a really robust design implemented with you know, ho-hum parts. But the performance of it was okay. You know, It didn't commit any egregious sins in terms of mangling the sound of the mic. It was a little noisy, perhaps, but wasn't super distorted as long as you didn't get too loud. Um, and so in that instance, putting a nicer capsule on that mic would make it sound completely different. I mean, it completely revoices the, uh, the microphone. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, uh, like, so Roswell Pro Audio makes seven or eight different microphones now. And for the most part, each of those mics has its own unique capsule because they all sound different. And they're all supposed to sound different because, you know, just as a, as guitarists, you don't have just one guitar, right? Like Ted, how many guitars do you own? Don't ask. Well, yeah, yeah. we're not allowed to say that. My wife might be listening. So probably more than two. <laughs> Richard, how about yourself? Is that? 
Uh, uh, two acoustics, one violin, four electrics. Okay. So, but why do you have more than one? Yeah, they're different sounds. So, yeah. that's, that's, so the capsule is kind of the heart of the microphone. And I guess you got started by learning and working and understanding the heart of it and then kind of moving out from there. Is that kind of what I'm understanding? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, so the, the capsule is uh, is the heart of it. And we started by selling capsules. And then we expanded from there into circuits, but we also expanded the palette, the sort of sonic palette of capsules. And, uh, and, and since then, you know, we've been developing some unique twists on classic models. Um, so, you know, just uh, forgive me, I'm not a guitar player, but I know enough to say that, uh, like there are, there's the Les Paul and there's the Stratocaster as sort of, um, primary guitar electric guitar types right so kind of similar to that there are a handful of large diaphragm condenser microphone capsules and they were for the most part developed in europe a long time ago and a lot of modern microphones use those or, or some version of those like we take the blueprints and we recreate that and then maybe we tweak it this way or that way but you know, just like there's a, a million strap copies, there's many copies of these sort of original primary large diaphragm condenser capsule designs. Um, and they each have their unique sound for a lot of different reasons. And, um, and what we do is we take those and, and tweak them to create a sound that we want and then design a microphone around it to, to give us the sound that we want. Because, you know, microphones are kind of like paintbrushes. Um, in the sense that they're all different sonic colors. And, um, and you know, if you were to ask, I've used this, uh, this sort of uh, metaphor before, but if you were to ask uh, a painter to name the best color, they'd, the painter would be like, what do you mean? How is there a best color? What are you trying to paint? You know, which is why it's frustrating when someone says to me, what's your best microphone? And I'm like, well, there isn't a best, you know? I don't understand that. Like, what are you trying to record? So... Um, and the same is true of guitars. You know, they, they, they all sound different. Yeah, but they also probably inspire different things. You know, they feel different in your hand. Some has, you know, some have this kind of wood, some have that kind of wood, yep. strings, pickups, etc. Well, and, and and different guitars work better for different artists depending upon the style of music and their their voice and, and everything else. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, can I ask another stupid question since I'm good at that? You can ask all the questions. What is a matched pair of microphones? Um, so in, in simple terms, a matched pair is two microphones that are extraordinarily similar in two respects. And you have to be careful about this because there are companies that sell mics that are called matched that are really not that well matched. Um, so there are two ways that, that if you took two microphones of the same brand and model, same kind of microphone, um, they will typically vary in, in a couple of ways. Uh, one is the frequency response and the other is the sensitivity. So the reality is that microphone capsules vary in sensitivity uh, and, and actually frequency response as well by a, a couple of decibels. And you could argue that in, in a lot of applications, if one microphone is two decibels higher in output or louder than the other, it doesn't matter because maybe your preamp channels aren't matched or maybe you can fix it while you're mixing anyway. Um, but for 
the best stereo imaging, uh, it, it's best to have two microphones that are as identical as they can possibly be. So if you took an extreme example where you said, you know, these two mics are the same brand and the same model, but this one has, you know, six decibels higher output above seven kilohertz, right? So at the top end of the frequency response, this one is really a lot brighter. And that's, an, that's you wouldn't probably find that, it, that's a little extreme. There are some inexpensive mics that do differ by four or five decibels, but let's just say that you had that, and then you put the two mics up to record an orchestra or a chorus or a drum kit or something like that. And as you're listening uh, with headphones, um, and part of that sound seems to be pulling to one side because that microphone that was on that side has higher output at some, some subset of frequencies, then it kind of wrecks the stereo image. You no longer feel like you're in the room because, uh, because the image seems to be louder on one side or brighter or darker or more mid-rangey on one side. So you can certainly record stereo sources with mismatched microphones. It's done all the time. And in a lot of cases, people won't notice. You know, if you use two different kinds of microphone on your drum overheads, by the time that goes through the whole mix process and EQ and compression and everything else, most people won't hear the difference. And that's totally okay. <clears throat> but hmm. people who want the best possible stereo imaging, uh, we do very precise matching. So the mics that we sell that are called matched pairs, what that means is that we'll, when we build a, a batch of microphones, um, we build you know 20 or 30 at a time, uh, we will do testing on all of them, acoustic testing. And then we'll, I mean, obviously the first test is to make sure that they're all meeting spec. But then the second test would be to say, okay, these two are nearly identical you know they vary by less than a half of a decibel across this band of frequencies and they vary by you know no more than this much in terms of sensitivity so our spec is uh within a half db of sensitivity at one kilohertz and then within one and a half decibels from uh 50 to uh, i think it's 10 or 12k which is a wider spectrum than some companies that charge three times as much for the microphones. Um, so we're uh, we're a little picky about matching and we don't charge a ton for it. Um, but my perspective as a consumer is if I want, like if I decide that I need matched microphones for whatever reason, uh, I want them to be matched. I don't want someone to say, well, these are only matched for sensitivity and not for frequency response, but we're gonna call them matched like that that doesn't work because then you could still have this issue where one of them is brighter than the other or darker than the other. Uh, so we match for both frequency response and sensitivity. And uh, we try to do a really uh, meticulous job about that. Wow. So, but now do you need matched microphones? You know, most people know, not really. Um, if you're, uh, if you are recording an acoustic guitar in stereo, you might appreciate having that. Um, but you might not be recording that instrument in stereo. I mean, the instrument's only this big. How wide of an image do you want that to have? Um, I think there are other sources like, an, you know, an orchestra or something like that where arguably it makes more sense because you're really trying to capture the space and not just a point source. Thank you. That's that's good to know. I wasn't quite sure what they were really talking about when uh, those were being advertised. It's one of those uh, black magic kind of arts that, you just kind of look at it and go, oh, well, it's more than I really want to spend anyway. But um, it was worth asking because, like you say, your mics don't seem to be as expensive as some of the ones I've seen advertised. Um, 
And I think that would be a great thing for you to tell us about is what you're making and what you're offering uh, and where you found your niche. Sure. So we make uh, seven or eight different models right now. They're all condenser mics. And I, I can back up for people who are not uh, deeply experienced audio engineers. So there's basically three kinds of microphone that you'll run across in a studio. And um, the three, excuse me, the three types of microphones are basically condenser mics, dynamic mics, and then ribbon mics. And so ribbon mics are the the ones you'll see uh, less of than others because they tend to be fragile and they tend to have some unique challenges. Um, dynamic mics are what you'll often see on stage like the SM58. Um, so those, the way those microphones work is that there's a, a relatively heavy element uh, that has, uh, that, that is kind of, as you speak or, or play an instrument into it, the diaphragm and this element are kind of moving back and forth within a coil of wire which uh, creates a voltage, but it's a it's a mechanical system and it's it's relatively high mass, um, but it's robust. That's why you can drop it from six feet and it's not going to hurt. It's why you can dunk your SM58 in a bottle of beer and then you know rinse it off and it's once it dries out, it's going to be okay. So helps um, spread helps prevent the spread of COVID. Exactly, <laughs> disinfectant. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, so those are dynamic mics. And uh, and then there are condenser mics. And so condenser mics, you know, in general tend to be more fragile. They tend to have higher output. Uh, they tend to capture more detail because the, the capsule, um, the, the active piece that moves is a piece of really, really thin film. Uh, it's a polyester film called mylar. And it's measured on the order of microns of thickness. Um, and it's essentially weightless. Um, I mean, there's a, an air pocket behind it, and so it's damped, and so um, it's not weightless, really, but as compared to a moving coil uh, cartridge, which is more like a, a speaker cone, you know, like the mechanics behind the speaker cone, uh, it's it's very lightweight, and so it, they, they tend to capture um, more detail, but, you know, condenser mics need phantom power. They need some kind of power source, uh, whereas dynamic mics don't. Um, so those are some of the differences. So anyway, every, and if people who are more interested in that uh, I actually have a, there's a talk that I did on YouTube um, that talks about some of this stuff. And I think the title of it is how to build a mic locker, but basically it's kind of about microphone technology 101. And it talks about ribbon mics and dynamics and condensers and how they work and why they sound the way they do. And you know, how the, how the form of them uh, affects the function. In other words, how are they designed? Uh, it talks about how they were designed and then why that affects the way that they work. We'll make sure that we include a link to that. Then that, that sounds like it would be well worth uh, listening to. I'm, I'm looking yeah, at it now. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's what it is. We'll, we'll get it locked. We'll get it locked. Perfect. It's an interesting thing because it, it helps people who aspire to be, even if you don't aspire to be an audio engineer, people who want to record themselves at home, it, it kind of, for me, it kind of opens up the black box because microphones are a black box. I mean, sound goes in and, 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 and audio, you know, digital audio comes out is kind of what it feels like. Obviously it's not a digital device, but for most people's experience, you plug into, you know, something like this and it's basically a digital audio thing. So, uh, but what goes on inside there, who knows? I mean, there's all kinds of strange components and circuit boards and wires and things. And um, so it seems like a black box, but if, if you understand some of the basics uh, of, ribbon condenser dynamic uh 
I think it really helps. And I, the reason I say that is because I've, I've given a, a class to various audio schools, um, and uh, and the kids' eyes kind of open up because they've been using microphones but not really understanding them. And this lets them understand them to some degree, and, and so it feels like a, you know, something they can grab onto. Um, so anyway, everything that Roswell Pro Audio makes is a condenser mic. Uh, and we have, and, and in fact, they're all large diaphragm condensers too. Uh, if you've heard the expressions large diaphragm versus small diaphragm, uh, small diaphragm microphones, uh, also called pencil mics, they tend to be, you know, lipstick shaped, usually longer, but they're, you know, uh, maybe a centimeter and a half in diameter and skinny. And, um, uh, and that's a different, you know, those are great for some things and, and they have their own sort of class of characteristics. Uh, what we make right now are all large diaphragm condensers. So the, the capsule is all, the, the capsules in these mics are all an inch across. Uh, that's kind of the cutoff for what's considered a large condenser. And so, uh, and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of weird because they all look, a lot of them look very similar externally. Uh, and that's because we, uh, my inclination is to spend all of the budget on making the mic sound amazing. Um, there's a lot of companies that uh, that don't do that. They focus, and, and frankly, this might be the way to go. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> if you have a consumer products design background, what something looks like is probably more important than anything else. I'd like to think that audio engineers and people who buy microphones don't feel that way, but evidence suggests that's not true. <laughs> um, so we, uh, so we use the same microphone body for a lot of the mics. Uh, but what's inside is completely different, right? All different capsules and different circuits, and they all try to sound like different things. And, um, and so I can show a, a picture of the product line right now, just for the moment here. Ooh. So uh, the big one in the middle is the newest one. That's called the Aztec, and that's a, a nine-pattern tube microphone designed in the style of the Elam 251, which is a classic old... European uh, microphone, and it's you know one of the most famous, most revered mics in history. Um, the so, so is there an actual tube inside of there? I mean, is it? Are you actually? Yeah, using really, vacuum tubes. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a sixty seventy two dual triode vacuum tube inside there. Wow. And that wow. one comes with its own power supply, right? Because tubes need hundreds of volts, which you're not going to get out of phantom power. So, uh, so that's the Aztec. We just launched that at NAM last month. Um, the one on the right is the copper colored one is called the Colaris. And that is, uh, was formerly until the Aztec came out, it was yeah. our flagship vocal mic. Um, the Colaris is, uh, was designed like a, a tubeless version of the same original 251. Um, my hope was to, to make a mic that evoked the sound of the old 251, but not deal with the vacuum tube and the power supply and all that. So the Colaris is basically could be thought of as a, a solid state 251 style mic. And it has, it gives you some of the same, you know, transformer saturation, harmonic color, um, a little bit of transient compression that you would find in a tube mic. Uh, the one on the left, the blue, the big blue one on the left of the Aztec is called the Delphos. Uh, actually the Delphos 2 is the second version. And that is a uh, transformerless, very clean, uh, lap frequency response. Um, pop producers love this because uh, they love that mic because um, in certain genres like pop and, and a lot of Latin music, uh, the genre kind of demands that you use a ton of effects, whether it's outboard gear or plugins in the box. 
they use a ton of, uh, I mean, they probably do tuning like auto-tune and then compression and EQ and limiting and, uh, you know, aural enhancers and exciters. And so you have all of this stuff that has to be put on the vocal to make it sound like everything else on the radio. And they love that particular mic, the Delphos 2, because it captures a really neutral sound that isn't boosted in the top end. A lot of modern microphones are just too bright. Um, and the pro this is a quick aside. The problem with really bright microphones is that when that signal hits your digital converters, um, the, 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 the exaggerated top end can push the converter into distortion. Hmm. And so what you end up recording is a distorted signal. And it just sounds harsh. So your, your converter is actually making your bright microphone sound harsher than it really is. Uh, but, but then you're stuck with it. You know, that, that distortion is part of the signal. You can't, you can't reduce that in the mix. Um, so and that's one of the reasons we, we designed these mics to be a little more neutral on the top end. You, just, you really can't afford to have really bright, exaggerated, top-end sounding microphones uh, with digital recording. So anyway, the Delphos 2 is, is really neutral in that sense. And so these pop producers love it because they can do all those effects, the outboard gear and the tuning and all that stuff. And the track retains its kind of original organic analog feel. Uh, and it, the, with the, the way they phrase it is that that mic stands up to all the processing that they have to do to make it fit the genre, to make their song fit the genre. That's the Delphos 2. Then flanking that are uh, the, the two mics on the left uh, and, the, and the three on the right are all part of the Mini K series. And that's the mics that, that you guys were checking out. So. Um, there's four different models and they have uh, four different voicings in the capsules and two different circuit designs. Um, so two of the mics share one circuit design and two of the mics share a different circuit design and they embrace different things. The, uh, the Mini K47 and the Mini K87 have a transformerless circuit. So those favor like accurate transient response or fast transient response is, is how that's sometimes described. And they don't do any, they're, they're, the distortion is very, very low. The noise floor is very, very low. And so, um, so the Mini K87 is about, you know, really clean, honest capture that then you can manipulate or not manipulate, depending. And that mic has been a favorite on a lot of different sources. Like it's, it's a kind of knock it out of the park on acoustic bass. Um, jazz guys love it on everything from saxophone to drum overheads. Uh, it's also an amazing vocal mic, depending on what you want and what, you know, what your signal chain is. Um, and then uh, the Mini K47 is, uh, you know, similar circuit, transformerless, accurate transient response, low distortion, low noise. Uh, but the capsule has its own color. It's got a presence peak around in the 4 to 6K range, uh, which is interesting. It's, it's really actually fascinating the way that this works, because... The, the highest note on a piano is like, I think it's 4.1K. Okay, that's pretty high. Um, and the presence boost on this microphone is above that. But people love this mic on piano. And I, I think the reason why is that this microphone is, is boosting some of the higher harmonics that are coming off the instrument. It's not boosting, it's not like the top octave is louder because the mic has a presence boost there. Because again, the presence boost is above the highest note on the instrument. But uh, a couple factors. One, I think it's boosting some of the harmonics that are that are in, existing in the in instrument. But the other thing is that that capsule design has a slightly narrower pickup pattern, 
which helps it sound more focused. It helps, it helps the source that you're miking with that sort of come to the front a little bit mm. without, you know, without compression and EQ and, and just turning it up. It just somehow it, it kind of attenuates the, the sides a little bit and, and brings whatever's right in front of it to the foreground. Um, and then the, the two models with the X at the end, uh, the K67X and the K47X, uh, those have a different circuit, which like the Colaris, the copper colored one, um, they do some transient compression and then they create some harmonics. So uh, as you as you put more volume into them, they create some harmonic saturation. And that's one of the things that people love about old tube mics. Uh, you know, vacuum tubes, like, you know, Ted, you were surprised that that's a thing that people would do because tubes are fragile, right? They're yeah. made of glass and they're not really made anymore. I mean, literally they are made, but but there's not many companies that still make them. So they're, they're getting hard to get. They need a separate power supply, um, which is a whole other thing because if you, uh, and I say this because I've just spent probably 80 hours over the past two months refining power supply designs for two different tube microphones. Because if you want to make a really clean DC power supply, you need to know how to do that. You need to do filtering and regulation. And there's a whole, I mean, you could spend years studying power supply design. So, um, so, uh, but, but it's difficult. Yes. And they're fragile. Yes. And they're expensive and they're hard to use and they have to warm up and all that stuff, but people love them because they sound good. Why do they sound good? Well, one of the reasons is, they do harmonic saturation. You know, they 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 give you back more than what you put in. Mm. You, know, so you 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 sing into it, and I won't because that would be the end of the podcast uh, if I had to sing for anyone. <laughs> but you sing, and it's it's not it's not a harmonizer. Just to be clear, it's not like you're going to get an octave down or up, and that's suddenly you get a harmony. It's not that harmonics. Yes, it is an octave up. Actually, it's a second harmonic, but it, it's low level uh, in volume. So, you know, your, your signals up here and the harmonics are, are, are down here. They're much lower, but it's audible. You know, yeah. again, not as a harmony, not as a double, anything like that. It's it's just, it adds richness. And that's part of the sound of old tube mics is that they would they would do, some, they would create some harmonics and they also soften transients a little bit. So um, it's not so noticeable when on a human voice, which doesn't tend to have so many transients, but on a piano or drums or something, uh, you can have really sharp transients, especially on like a rim shot on a snare drum. And this instead of faithfully reproducing the very peak of that transient, tube microphones will round that off a little bit just because the system, it can't react that quickly to to recreate that, or to capture that transient with you know digital fidelity, so to speak. So uh, the X models, the K47X and the K67X do some of that as well um, w without the tube. There's a way to do it. You don't have to have a tube to do that. Um, uh, transformers, for example, contribute to that sound. So, uh, but that's, so that's the uh, 10,000 words more than you needed about the product line. But the, the point of this is, I guess if I could back up and sort of summarize the, you know, we have a, a couple of, of higher price mics, um, you know, like $900 and up. And then we have these five mini K models that are all under $500. But what's unique about them is, I think a couple things. Uh, so there's five different mics. Well, one of them is a kick drum mic, so that you can discount that because unless you're a drummer, you don't you don't need that for anything. So there's there's four mini K models that are all under five hundred bucks, and unlike just about everything else on the market, that's a large diaphragm condenser under five hundred bucks. They're not. We're not making those overseas and importing them and putting our name on them. Um, we're doing 
uh, all the uh, design assembly testing and tuning in California uh, in my workshop. And so, you know, all the soldering, all the wiring, all the tuning, all the testing, all that stuff happens in-house. And, um, and that allows us to do a couple things. One, we, we can just use better parts than everybody else. And, you know, just like the difference between a $3,000 acoustic guitar and a you know, $299 acoustic guitar, it, it's, it's partly the workmanship, of course, but it's also partly the woods. Mm -hmm. I don't know a lot about guitars, but for example, ukuleles, uh, Hawaiian koa wood is a really revered wood for that instrument. Um, and But it's hard to get and it's expensive as compared to anything else. And so you see a lot of ukuleles made of acacia, which is the same tree, but from a, a part of the world that isn't so expensive. Right. So within microphones, the, 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 the analogy there would be... Uh, all the stuff inside the resistors, the capacitors, of course, the capsule too. So we use just really fantastic parts and we test the hell out of everything to make sure that it is doing the job that we need it to do. Um, and uh, so, so what's unique about these mini K models is the, the price performance ratio is I'm pretty confident better than anything else on the market. There's a variety of sounds. So four different mics with four different voices. Uh, so as people are building their mic locker, this is a really easy way to get a different sound um, with uh, with a familiar sort of product. Um, they all come with a nice case. It's a, I mean, a case is no big deal, but as it turns out, it's a better case than what comes with a lot of thousand dollar mics that I've seen because we wanted to get a nicer case. So we made a nicer case. Uh, and the shock mount is, I think, best in class. Um, a lot of shock mounts have a couple of flaws. One is they use elastic bands to, mm -hmm. to hold the mic, but the problem is elastic bands resonate like bass strings. I mean, you can pluck them and you'll hear a note. And so it's conceivable that as you're recording, if, if your instrument excites, if you play the, the frequency that excites that elastic band in your shock mount, well, that's only that far from the microphone capsule, you know, so that, so the sound of the shock mount string resonating becomes part of your track. So you're, you're talking about a wolf note. Uh, I don't know that term. It, it, it's so a lot of basses and other instruments have a, a specific frequency that for some reason is just much louder than all the other ones around it. And it's called a wolf note or a wolf tone. No, uh, yeah, I think it's, I think he's physically talking about this thing making a noise. Right. Um, they they oh. do make a noise. Yeah. No, yeah. you're right. I, 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 I've not heard that term, but yes, the sh some of the sh cheap shock mounts have a resonant frequency. Yeah. Uh, and so that's one problem. The other problem is they often use a, a felt pad, like a friction fit to hold the mic and that wears out over time. And then when it wears out, your mic falls on the floor. And then the other problem is, um, uh, uh, I don't remember what the other problem was. Um, but what we did was, uh, design something better. So our, my, our, our mount screws on to the mic. Cause you can see that here, the microphone is, is screwed in. So it, it can't drop out. We use these tiny little O-rings for the suspension. So they still provide mechanical isolation from vibration, but these are too short to resonate. Um, so uh, so you don't get sympathetic vibrations, you know, resonating your shock mount, coloring the sound of your track. Um, so uh, anyway, better, better shock mount, better case. Um, you know, we do all the assembly in California and uh, use the best parts on the market and we charge less than most everybody else. So. Um, you know, we're we're basically in it in it for the love of making a great product. 
Um, and it's just a, it's a joy for us to be able to work with artists and help them realize their sound. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's the, that's the idea. Nice. Nice. Uh, fascinating. I, 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 I do have some older microphone experience and, um, they were, expensive in 1975 you know a, a, a u47 or a, or a 251 or a uh I'm trying to think of that really rare akg um they were expensive then i i think i've i've seen them at about a hundred thousand now i think i've seen a 251 at a hundred i don't know that might have come out might have come out of somebody's you know the gilmore collection or something like that i I don't know where it was, but, but, uh, and what it, the lesson that, that brings it all back to me is the Beatles and let it be. They're working with live PA in that room. And he's got two microphones on the drums. And if you, if you listen to that record all the way through, where he placed that drum mic definitely influenced the entire song. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, the brilliance of, of, of him as an engineer and um, what they're dealing with. I mean, the volume levels in there were, you don't really see any isolation stuff. You don't, you don't, the drums are just up higher. <laughs> you know, it's a, uh, it's a lesson but um it is and times have changed i mean a lot of great uh motown records were made with minimal mics but that also required a room full of people who could play the hell out of their instruments yeah absolutely and we just did a um we just did a live stream last uh friday and it was Stuart ham on bass and uh chad wackerman on drums mm. and um uh toshi yanagi i believe i have his name right playing guitar and those guys were amazing. They'd had one rehearsal. They were playing four of Stewart's uh, original compositions. They they rehearsed the night before, and then they came in and did this, and they just blew the doors off the studio. Wow. But, you know, those guys have, uh, you know, hundreds of records between them, and sure. they're just incredibly good at what they do. I mean, sympathetic listeners and active listeners, and they're they're playing music. They're not just playing a chart or, you know, a loop or whatever hmm. so times have changed i mean the good news about that is that you don't need to have 40 years of experience playing your instrument in order to record music um and uh and you also don't need to have a recording studio you know you can plug into your interface or put a you know put a cheap mic up on your guitar and sing and whatever so i mean i, I love the fact that anyone can make music at home now um yeah. that's incredibly empowering uh it doesn't take anything away from the old Beatles records or I mean some of the Zeppelin records were recorded with a mono drum overhead and the engineer was panning it side to side during a drum fill to give it some sense of movement <laughs> I, you know but but every drummer is not John Bonham either you know yeah. some of those guys can mix themselves while they play like they know where the mic is and they're going to play and it's going to sound amazing you know I've got to work with Rick Allen a little bit and um he's uh he's so tuned in to what he's doing I mean it, and everything he does it it, it is I, I didn't know you had a drummer background so 
my respect for you goes uh, up about another 40,000 points because uh, that is a definite. There's a lot of noise coming from back there and a lot of beautiful noise coming from back there if you're just not listening to the snare drum. You know, if you're listening to what the drummer's doing, that's, it's it's it, it's a it's an art form. We, uh, I think we've kind of covered interfaces with a couple of people. Um, we had Eric Sky who um, turned me on to your recording hacks uh, thing. Um, I did an MXL microphone with you. Uh, I bought the capsule and and, uh, hmm. and and changed the mic. You know, it was just that, and it 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 blew me away you know had i been a little bit better solderer and gotten the ground uh, you know back on the thing i would have would have never uh, never lost that microphone but uh, it it made a big difference and it was it, it when i saw the price point on these and listened to them with the with the just the in home thing that i did i just can't believe they're I would put a one in front of all the prices, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or a zero after. <laughs> Don't encourage him. Don't encourage him. <laughs> <laughs> so um, get them now, folks, while they're still cheap. <laughs> well, I so I have a, another question that again I don't know how stupid it is, but do microphones wear out, or do they degrade over time, um, or? I mean, I guess I was asking that because I was intrigued how you kind of hinted at the fact that now that more and more recording is digital as opposed to the analog tape and everything, I'm assuming that there's been some change in the microphones and in the other interfaces and devices that are in between the source of sound and the device that's recording it. Uh, I would say, in general, yes. Um, microphones can change over time. Um, if it's a vacuum tube microphone, the tube can get old, get noisy, whatever. Uh, microphone capsules, modern ones are more robust than some of the older ones. Like in the old days, um, uh, Neumann and then Gefell uh, have made capsules with a uh, PVC diaphragm. It was very thin. Um, but uh, that can get brittle with time. And so the sound absolutely changes over you know, five or 10 years time. Uh, modern capsules don't do that. They use mylar, which is pretty impervious, but capsules can get uh, impacted by moisture. Um, and so if, it, if, you know, if the microphone is put up for a vocal session and the, and the singer is very close and has a lot of sort of uh, moist exhalations onto the microphone and it's not allowed to dry out before being put away that can have an impact um, so uh, and then you know just like you know light bulbs last forever right you turn them on and off thousands of times and one day you turn it on and it, and it blows uh, anything that has electronics in it could conceivably blow at some point and condenser microphones have transistors and things inside semiconductors that can you know, for any reason or no reason, at some point, decide this is their time. Okay. It's not super common. Um, and, and I wouldn't say that you should leave them plugged in all the time to, you know, to prevent cycling them and, and so on. Um, but it sounds like an investment in a good mic is going to hold you on for a long time. It's not like you have to worry about 
if I buy a really good mic now and in three or four or five years, I'm going to have to buy another one because it's wearing out or going bad or. Right. That is correct. Yeah. It's not like phones. Uh... <laughs> well, we're also not allowed to play games on our microphones. So. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so no, no, I agree. Uh, a, a, a good microphone should last longer than your music career. Um, and uh, I mean, we, we offer a, a two-year warranty on, on ours. Um, we get very few service requests. Um, and about half of those that we do, I mean, we literally like a couple a year. Um, uh, and half of those are because um, it dropped, you know, we, we get the mic in and the grill's all mashed in and something. So, so yeah, spontaneous death um, is, is uncommon. And, you know, part of that for us too, is that we, like I said, we test the heck out of everything. And um, one of the things that we do is when we build a mic, we stick it on a, on a burn rack and it sits there for 24 hours or more. And it's, it's basically just, you know, it's a big box with, uh, you know, a bunch of XLR powered XLR jacks on it. We just click all the mics in and they sit there under power for a day or two. And um, that if there is going to be a transistor failure or a diode or something else, right. theoretically it would happen right away. And, uh, and then we would fix that before we ship it. And I also wanted to add one other thing. So there's a, on the topic of capsules and, um, and so on, there was a, uh, a live stream that I did. It was a Q and a oh, here. Let me grab this. This actually shows a microphone capsule. So, Ooh. so that is a, a, a tired old capsule from a, a Neumann U87 and, and someone uh, tried to clean it. Um, and discovered that the, the gold coating on the mylar diaphragm doesn't actually stick very well. And so by, by trying to clean off whatever muck or perceived, you know, contaminants were on there, they actually cleaned the gold off too, which rendered it useless. Um, so, uh, but that's what it looks like. And you can see how it's, you know, an inch, inch across or so, 30, 34 millimeters outside diameter. But that, um, uh, let me show this. So this is, uh, a microphone QA Q&A live stream that I had done uh, at some point. It's on the Roswell channel. And I call this out just because it has, um, I actually talk about two different capsule types and I show one of them there. And then I, I let people hear, I, I built two of the same microphone with two different capsules in it and then just switch back and forth so that people can hear the EQ difference, the frequency response difference between those two. So it's um, a nice sort of condensed introduction to you know what capsules are and and they sound different yeah no that that's a great image i mean up until that point i was kind of imagining some kind of a pharmaceutical looking device every time you said capsule so I was... <laughs> yeah kind of what it is matt I, I, we've taken enough of your time uh what a what an education thank you i mean really clear concise a great product made in america um thanks thanks yeah. for yeah thanks for thanks for loving what you're doing <laughs> well thanks for having me on i i do love what i do um, i feel very fortunate uh i spent a lot of time doing other things that turns out i didn't love quite as much so <laughs> I think we've all been there. Yeah. Well, before we let them go, I think that, that because our primary audience is going to be guitarists, 
you know, singer songwriter kind of people. Um, if somebody were to buy their first one or two higher quality condenser mics, put those SM58s down. Um, do you have a couple of recommendations from your product line that would be the first ones you that we should look at? Sure. So there's there's not really a a wrong answer. Um, That's good to know. <laughs> here's a caveat. If, you know, if you're going to be on stage and there's a, drum, a drummer behind you or floor monitors, then you probably want, uh, you know, pickups or something else, right? You don't you don't really want live condenser mics on a, a loud stage because you're just going to have all kinds of problems. So with that caveat aside, if, if your goal is to record yourself um, at home, then uh, it's it's really hard to go wrong with one of the mics from the this series that we call the Mini K microphone. So these are all the sub five hundred dollars. And what I usually do if someone emails, I mean, it, I can't recommend one because it kind of depends on what people have and what they want. Um, the, the most popular model is the Mini K47. And uh, a lot of people love that on a lot of different sources, including guitar uh, and guitar cabs as well as acoustic. Mm. And, uh, and it does double duty, you know, works great on vocals and, and piano. Uh, you're not going to put it up on a, you know, on a snare drum, you're not going to put it on your kick drum. Um, probably not going to like it on brass instruments either. But uh, for a lot of the common studio sources, you know, mandolin and ukuleles and guitars and things like that, it does really nice. Uh, and it's it's a good first mic for a lot of people who already own other microphones because most any other microphone that someone might own probably wouldn't have that capsule in it, which means the Mini K47 is going to sound different from the stuff that you already own. Mm. Now, if you have some other k47 based microphone um then maybe it makes more sense to go with something like the mini k87 which is more neutral uh but it's still got a kind of organic quality to it that is unusual for a mic at this price point um so uh, so those are those are good places to start um it's it's hard you know to be more specific because again i uh any of them would work mm -hmm. uh, and and I don't know what someone else wants to hear, you know, because uh, people hear, uh, everyone hears what they hear, right? It, like people's ears, like I don't know what someone else hears because everyone's perception is different. And so um, what I would invite people to do is to uh, reach out to me via email and say, you know, here's the other mics I own or here's the kind of guitars that I have and mm. what I'm going to be using it for. And, uh, and there's a lot of different possibilities and I'm happy to help, uh, you know, talk through options. Uh, one Excellent. I kind of do that all day long. And, and so if anyone needs like a personal microphone consultant, that's kind of what I'm here for. EMC, there we go. <laughs> I, 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 I was I was really, really knocked out by the difference in sound between the 47 and the 87. And they were both extremely pleasant to listen to. And, you know, they 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 sounded great. But they were different and uh you know collect them all um, <laughs> i mean really i i kind of put it i kind of put it i really i i would have when i opened the box and put them up i was gonna i was gonna go oh i'm just gonna buy one of these right now and then i was like which one <laughs> you know it really was I, and i and i haven't bought one because i just haven't spent enough time with the track shed to go 
okay, that's the one. But um, I was knocked out. And and I and I and I, and I, I normally I would think it would be, oh yeah, this one's here and this one's here. You know, I'm gonna choose this one up here. And it wasn't. It was like this one's got this really great glitter to it, but boy, the the stripes on this one, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's it, 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 yeah. What people uh, what people tell me is that they end up preferring one or the other based on the instrument. Probably. Uh, there's this uh, ukulele playing couple, Craig and Sarah, Craig Chi and Sarah Maisel, and they uh, they do they move back to Hawaii. They have backyard concerts and things now, but they are both masters of their instruments, and they have signature models and all this. And so. Uh, we'd sent them those two mics and they really, really loved one of the two. And I think it, I think it was the mini K87. They really, really loved it. And the, the 47, they said, you know, it's fine, but we really so much prefer this other one. Can we swap? Can we send back the 47 and get another 87? I said, of course. I mean, because for me, it's not like, you know, parents aren't supposed to have a favorite child. It's not really like that. It's like they're all good at different things. Mm -hmm. I'm not bothered if someone says, I prefer this to this because it's like, well, okay, fine. Because you have all these different guitars or you sing in these different registers and you know for that particular thing you want this kind of sound that's totally okay so we were getting set to, to swap out this mic and then uh the follow-up email came through the next day and they said wait never mind because we pulled out this other tenor instrument and we tried both mics and the mini k47 is the thing for that one so you know for the concert you gets this one and for the tenor it's that one or for the wood i forget exactly how they broke it down but they got to where they said, okay, we want this for this and that for that. And I thought, exactly. Well, that is the point of it. You know, uh, you have different guitars because they sound different. And, you know, some are going to be better served by this microphone and some are better served by that microphone. So, uh, so that's why we make as many as we do. Perfect. Yeah. You know, I have to, I have to just say that, that talking with, uh, uh, Richard here for some time he's always been a mic geek and he's always you know talked about these different models and so and so uses this and everything else and I've been like you know I just want something that sounds like my voice when I'm singing and so and mostly that's been for live work but you know as we're starting to do a little more recording and such I'm realizing it's not quite there um, what really works fine you know with a everybody else playing at high volume at the same time is not working as well for me when I just want to record my guitar and really hear what it sounds like. Um, so I'm, this has been very enlightening. I'm, I'm quite intrigued now. I'm Good. yeah. I, Thank I, you for I, taking the time. Yeah, yeah. really, really. It, it, it's, it's a masterclass in, um, in understanding microphones and uh, we'll make sure that your, um, that they know how to find Pro Roswell Audio and uh, how to build a mic locker. Yeah. We'll put that up there. Um, we will probably go live with this tomorrow. Um, I'll send you all the links. And um, I hope it's really good. I can't can't thank you enough. You it's fantastic, man. Yeah. Well, thank you, and I appreciate your patience too um, in in scheduling all this. So uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And uh, yeah. And well, I and I hope everybody who listens to our podcast will get in touch with you and mention that that they heard about you here, um, because I think that uh, good microphones are something that more 
guitarists and, and musicians, especially people who are putting the time and money into buying a really nice Santa Cruz guitar, which I think a lot of our, our listeners do, um, this is an obvious next step. Uh, I'm kind of realizing just how important this is. Yeah, sure is. Thank you so much. Um, how about you're in Sonoma, right? Yes. Yeah, Tad's, oh. in, Tad's in Berkeley. I'm in absolutely freezing Monterey. It's 54 degrees and foggy here right now. <laughs> we haven't seen the sun in three weeks and mm. come on, you know, but it kept the crowds down over the, over Memorial Day. So we got to love that. Okay. One last question though. It looks like you have a whole bunch of very, very large crossword puzzles in process behind you. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those are uh, acoustic panels. So um, I spent the pandemic um, updating my home studio and uh, the, the, the wood faced panels are actually acoustic traps with a, uh, an eighth of an inch thick piece of plywood on the face. And the holes are there to allow partial absorption, but also to do diffraction. And that's, it's not an original thing. It's a company called GIK. Oh, okay. Okay. The acoustics makes those. I think they're called the alpha panels. Very cute. And they, they look cool. And I, you know, at this point, I've had enough of fabric wrapped bricks on my wall. <laughs> so I wanted something a little different. Uh, and and they, they do a nice job. I mean, they, the diffraction is nice on the, on the high end and the absorption is really required because I'm recording drums in a small room. So. Very nice. Okay, good. <laughs> there we go. Um, I, I don't have anything else. No, we're good. We're good. Okay. okay. Thanks, okay. Matt. Um, have a wonderful afternoon. Sometime I'm going to have to come by and see you, Matt. I, we have a little house out at Dillon Beach. So next time I'm up there and bored, I'll have to figure out where you are. Yeah, drop drop me a line. And uh, love to have you come by. I mean, it's, it's a modest little room, but... Uh, <sighs> Excellent. All right. <laughs> thank you for your time again this is well thank you have a really good, good. this is fun thanks bye, -bye. bye, -bye.